God, we praise you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the way you care for us and for these moments we can have to sing your praises together as your people. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for singing with us. You can be seated. This is our uh, last week exploring the, the spiritual practices of detachment for the season of Lent as Easter comes. And, and this week, the practice that you are invited to participate in is simplicity. Simplicity is a practice that helps free us from the compulsion we have to buy, possess, and, and even hoard stuff to make us feel secure. It, it, it helps us kind of combat that impulse that we have that sometimes rises up to, to crave the things we do not need to in, nor enjoy in order to impress people that we do not like. And so uh, you can check out all of our Lenten practices on our website, and you can especially explore the practice of simplicity this week. Well, here we are, one week from Easter, and as a church, we're really looking forward to all that's to come next weekend. Uh, We've got Good Friday. We have our Lakeview Kids Easter celebration happening on Saturday, and of course, Resurrection Sunday. Now, I know for like the students in the room, there's also this real excitement and eagerness of looking forward towards Easter break, let's be honest. Um, Do you know, for those of you who are still in high school, do you know that like Easter break is like unique to Saskatchewan? I spent time living in Ontario and in Alberta, and they only get March break. So the fact that you guys enjoy a February break and an Easter break, it's not bad. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You know, uh, a few years back, I used to work for Youth for Christ, and I always loved Easter break when it was coming because for four years in a row, I would help join the Youth for Christ team, and we would bring 150 high school students down to California for Easter break. Now, that's a pretty good time spending your week off, if if I could be honest. And now, I I do look back on those experiences, and I, I get itchy when I think of all the details that went into that trip. But the one thing that I think about the most when I look back is that we had no smartphones, no Google Maps. We didn't even have those like dorky dash screen GPS things that you remember we had for like a couple years. Like we we had bus drivers, obviously that helped out a lot. Uh, But for those of you who like grew up like myself in the 90s or earlier, do you remember road trips? How did we do it? Like. When I was in high school, I was 17, and a few other of us, 17-year-olds, we went on a, on a ski trip out to Panorama in, like, the year 2000. And looking back, like, I honestly don't know how we did it. Like, did we have physical maps opened up? Like, I don't know. I, I remember my parents had them in their car. I don't remember bringing them on this trip. I am pretty sure that that trip was before MapQuest. Oh, yes. Who remembers those glory days? <laughs> Okay, for the young people in the room, let me just explain a little bit, because this was cutting-edge stuff in, like, the early 2000s. If you wanted to go on a big road trip, you'd kind of crank up the internet, and then you would head over to mapquest.com, and then you type in your starting address and your end destination, and then you could print off pages and pages of instructions, and if you were rich you could even print off the little maps in color if you had a fancy kind of printer, you know. And 
Then you get in your car, you'd hand the papers to the navigator who was riding shotgun, and they would guide you step by step through the journey. And it got a little bit tricky when it was like, okay, our next left turn is in like 218 kilometers. So you'd be like, you'd have to like look at the odometer, like write it down and do the math and kind of like try to be aware of like, when is our, when is our turn approaching? Like this was cutting edge stuff. I have vivid memories of me and a few friends in college. We made a road trip down to Minneapolis into United States. And like, we had stacks of those papers like guiding us along. And like, you know, you might be thinking if you're young, like, but like, what would you do if you like missed a turn or like a road was closed? Yeah, exactly. You just, you just figured it out, I guess. I don't know. Obviously now, whenever we want to go somewhere, we just like shout at Siri and, you know, she just figures out the rest for us, right? And like, honestly, Google Maps has like revolutionized road trips, right? Like, it's, it's amazing when you think about it, especially when you can make use of the, the, the street view feature and actually like look ahead to see like, where am I going? What does it look like? You, you've done this, right? Have any of you done this with Lakeview Church? It's like kind of cool. I, ha- I have to imagine every time we order pizza, the delivery, they, they have to be doing this every time because they're like, the church is where? There's a church out there? And they, you know, so if you do the street view, it's kind of cool, right? You can get a view from the church. But did you know you can actually come right into our parking lot? Yeah, they made the trip through and you can even like come right towards our main entrance. And in fact, you might notice something. Does this work? How do I, this one. No? Oh, does it, it's a thing? Doesn't work? Uh, do you see? There's a little bit, there's some, some, something in the screen. Somebody. Hey, look who it is. <laughs> Yours truly saw a little Google car driving through the parking lot. I was like, I got to do this. <laughs> and I wasn't by myself. I was in a meeting with Nancy and Darlene, I remember. So they had to join in on the fun. <laughs> And if I remember correctly, the, the admin staff were like, what's going on? And Sabrina had to like book it across the lobby because she wanted to join in. I encourage you, you should really take a cruise sometime uh, over to Lakeview Church on Street View and come say hi to the gang. Um, you know, the, the, the whole reality of, of smartphones and Google Maps, it's like it's changed everything with road trips. You, you can get a feel for exactly where are you headed. You, you, you can take away the mystery. You, you might even get a peek of some of the weirdos who might be waiting for you if you were to show up at that random church. And, and you know, all of us, we've been on all kinds of trips. And I would actually love if we could just take a moment and share some of the trips with one another. But we're, we're not going to do that. But I would encourage you, you know, maybe this week in home church to just talk about some of the memorable journeys that you have been on in your life. And I would especially like you to think of some of those journeys that stirred up like a lot of feelings inside. Maybe you remember the first time you went away for a week at camp. Or maybe you remember the first time you went to drop off your kids for a week at camp. Maybe you remember the feelings of like going away to college or, or maybe you're in that place where you're like mapping things out and you're excited because you're looking forward to going away to college in the future. The journeys of life, they're not always about going away either. Maybe the journey uh, that, you come, that you think of that comes to mind was like the journey to a, a doctor's appointment that was important. 
or maybe a job interview. Over the past few weeks, we've been following the events of the life of Jesus as told in the Gospel of Luke, and we've been noticing that Jesus is on a journey. He's on a journey to Jerusalem. The end destination is set. And and here we are in Luke's gospel, and and Jesus is about to arrive. And and here we are, as on what is traditionally known as Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, and we sense like Easter is just beyond us. Over the next few days, we should all start to feel the, the anticipation of making our way towards Easter. We're on the cusp. Our destination is just ahead. And so, too, is the destination just ahead for Jesus and his disciples. So we're in Luke 19, if you'd like to follow along with your own copy of the scriptures. Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You know, this would have been a well-worn path that Jesus and his disciples walked from Jericho to Jerusalem, especially during the time of Passover. Early readers would have understood that the hike from Jericho to the crest of the Mount of Olives, it was an enduring climb. They would have understood the, the sense of relief that comes when when you reach the summit and you first get a glimpse of the holy city. You know, Jerusalem, itself on a a lower hill, there's like a a, a valley, a narrow deep valley between. It's hard to capture in, in kind of modern times, but you can imagine the significance of that vantage point, looking over the city. And for Jesus, as he overlooked Jerusalem, he knew what was awaiting him. He was on a mission to proclaim God's kingdom to all people. And at the center of that mission was a declaration to the people of Israel that their promised Messiah had arrived. 
The king was here declaring that he came to bring salvation and healing for the nations. But Jesus knew that in Jerusalem, forces of evil and death would meet him and oppose his rule. This is not going to be an easy journey, but it was the journey he was committed to making. And you'll notice the way that Jesus continually engages his disciples in this journey as well. He sends two to go fetch the colt. And then his disciples, they prepare the donkey by, by putting their, their, their coats upon it like a, like a little makeshift saddle. And then Luke even says that the disciples like helped mount Jesus onto the donkey. And, and then of course, they, they lay down their coats on the road. They are marking the significance of this occasion. You see, this isn't the first time that Jesus has gone to Jerusalem, but they recognize that this isn't a normal journey. You see, the fact that Jesus chose to ride in on a colt, it was intentional. He was making the connection for his disciples that he was coming as a fulfillment from the, for prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, which says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. You know, whether or not the disciples fully grasp the journey and what the journey is going to be like, the disciples, they do recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They have walked with him. They have seen him perform miracles and transform lives and proclaim loudly before Jesus that he is the one to be praised. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They bear witness to the truth that the king is coming. And his reign represents hope. Hope that their enemies will be dismissed and hope that peace will be restored. But of course, not everyone wants this kind of excitement to build around Jesus. The Pharisees chime in and they're like, hey, Jesus, tell your people to chill out. Like, don't, don't, stir, thing, don't stir things up, you know? We don't draw too much attention. And this whole Jesus is king kind of hype, like, no, 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 we're, we're, not, we're not into that. But Jesus, he, he basically says, look, you can't stop what's about to happen. Even if my disciples are hushed, the rocks are going to cry out. The earth itself will declare that the king is here. And, and then our, our scene, it ends with Jesus making his way closer to Jerusalem. And as he's overlooking the city, he starts weeping. And this isn't the first time we've seen this kind of intense emotion from Jesus, and it won't be the last. In the garden scene leading up to his arrest and his death, Jesus will feel such, such great anguish at what he's going to endure that he's going he's gonna to sweat drops of blood. But here, his sorrow is for the people of Jerusalem. Because even though Jesus has come to rule as the king of peace, he's going to be rejected. 
They will refuse this gentle Messiah who comes riding on a colt, and they will insist on the way of violence and revolution to overthrow the Roman rule. You see, in the coming days, they will have their opportunity to receive Jesus as their king. And remember, we've seen people receive salvation from Jesus, and we've seen people reject him. So they will have their opportunity to trust his way of enemy love as the remedy for their struggle. But when presented with the choice, the people will choose Barabbas, the revolutionary. They will insist on the way of violence to restore their power, and no king on a colt is going to be leading the battle. So Jesus, he weeps over the city because he knows they will reject him. And he knows that they will revolt against Rome, and he knows that the city will be destroyed. He lays it out. He says, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground, you and your children and your enemies. They will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. So Jesus weeps. He weeps because he knows what fate awaits the people. And he weeps because he knows that the only way to truly confront the evil of the world that grips the Roman Empire and the evil that grips the Jewish revolutionaries and the evil that grips each one of us is to face it head on with sacrificial love. He's on a journey to the belly of the beast where he will come face to face with evil and death, and he will allow death to do its worst. But ultimately, he knows that love and life will have the final word. So here Jesus stands on the cusp of the final leg of the journey. You know, he's, he's taken that last off-ramp to the final exit and now it's just a matter of walking the road before him. If you've been through challenging journeys before, you might be able to kind of imagine the feeling of, of standing in that, that space of like anticipation. You're not quite there, but you have a sense of what's before you. Maybe it was pulling your car into the parking lot at RUH before a significant appointment. Maybe it was walking up the stairs to a friend's house before a heavy conversation. You know those, those moments, they're, they're so loaded. They're pregnant with all kinds of weight and significance. And Palm Sunday brings us into that kind of a moment. We're invited into the weight of Holy Week. We are invited into the story as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. As we feel the significance of this journey, we're invited to consider where do we find ourselves in the story? See, there, there are times when we find ourselves amidst a journey, and there are times when we find ourselves coming alongside others on their journey. And I'm sure you can think of many moments where you were witness to the journey of someone else. I think of what it must have been like for my parents as they dropped me off at Bible college 
or, or what it was like for my family to stand by as Tara and I, we drove and we moved away in our U-Haul to Toronto. I know what it was like for me when we dropped our kids off at camp for the first time. And, and you know, there, we come alongside people in all kinds of journeys, right? Challenging and exciting. We, we bear witness and we, 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 we play that role of coming alongside. J- just recently, many of us had the opportunity to come alongside Allison and celebrate her journey of ordination. I'm sure many of you have fond memories of coming alongside friends at graduations and weddings. But I'm sure that also many of you have memories of coming alongside friends in challenging journeys as well. A few years ago, I remember going to court and then making visits to Kilburn Hall as I was supporting a student who was on a challenging journey with a legal system. Many of us have made the trip to the hospital with a friend for an ominous appointment or attended funerals as a way of coming alongside our friends in times of pain. Sometimes our vantage point to the journey of others is is up close and personal and other times our, our vantage point to the journey of others is a little bit more removed. I think back to the uh, early times of the pandemic and when people from all around the city, but especially in those neighborhoods close to the hospital at you know, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. would go out on their, on their porches and in front of their yards and bang pots and ring bells as a way of bearing witness to the journey of frontline care workers as they were ending a shift or beginning a shift. What a beautiful way of acknowledging the journey of someone else. The journey of Jesus to Jerusalem, it's a reminder that there are people all around with all kinds of vantage points. They are witnessing the journey from all kinds of spaces and perspectives. And as the story continues, we will see this more and more. Some will welcome him with joy and enthusiasm. Some are right by his side. Some are trying to silence the hype, downplay the situation, avoid causing a stir. You have to imagine that there were probably many we never heard of who were just not interested, right? Their friends were going to go check out what Jesus was up to, and they just like stayed home and kept up with their own life. We know that there are many who will rise up in opposition to Jesus. They're going to do all they can to put an end to this notion that Jesus is king. And as the journey unfolds, you have to imagine there's going to be movement among the crowd as well. Some who are hyped up, are going to lose interest. Some who are uninterested are going to start to get curious. Some who are cheering on Jesus at the Mount of Olives might have a change of mind. You know, you have to wonder if any among those who are laying down their coats and cheering for Jesus at the Mount of Olives are also going to be among those who are there yelling, crucify him to Pilate. We know that there are some who start off opposed and they will have a change of heart. No matter where the people are watching from, the journey is happening. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Everyone around has their own vantage point, their own way of witnessing or even participating in the journey. So from what vantage point are we witnessing the journey? I was thinking about this, thinking about this idea of like, you know, a journey happening, and we all see it going on. And I was reminded of another 
journey that happened recently that, that grabbed a lot of attention. You may have heard a while back, there were a few truck drivers who decided to go on a journey to Ottawa. Too soon? Too touchy for Palm Sunday? No, nah, we can do this. We're okay. I'm not making a claim about the validity of the Freedom Rally one way or another. I'm just simply pointing out that a journey happened. And we all observed in one way or another. Some stood by the road waving flags and cheering in support, and some stood by the road holding banners of opposition and protest. Some took to social media to voice their affirmation of what it represented, and some took to social media to refute the rally and condemn what it stood for. Some people got really passionate one way or another, but then their interest kind of started to fade. And some were not really interested at all to begin, but then as things started to get more heated, they kind of got more engaged in the conversation, and some just probably weren't interested from start to finish. Either way, a journey did happen, and we all had our own vantage point from which we observed. What vantage point are you witnessing this journey from? Christ's journey to the cross. And I wonder, is it different than years previous? Has your perspective changed? Has your proximity to Jesus shifted? Do you find yourself leaning in or perhaps fading away? Jesus has made it clear that throughout the story of Luke's gospel, that for his disciples, Christ's journey to the cross must become our journey. We are not invited to stand by idle on the side of the road. We are not invited to chime in with social media comments. We are invited to follow Jesus and embrace his way as our very own. And Jesus made this abundantly clear in Luke chapter 9 when he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We are invited to take up the way of self-giving, sacrificial, enemy love, we are invited to take up the way of the cross. We are not meant to observe curiously from the outskirts. Holy Week invites us to come along with Jesus and discover what it means to be his follower. As Soren Kierkegaard says, he came to be the pattern to leave footprints for the person who would join him, who would become a follower. What's the difference between an admirer and a follower? A follower strives to be what he admires. An admirer, however, keeps himself personally detached. So as we are on the cusp of the journey to the cross, will you enter into the story as an admirer? Or will you enter in and follow Jesus? The coordinates are set. We know where he's headed. We know what kind of journey it is going to be. The journey to the cross is not an easy path. But Jesus declares that it is the path to life. 
And we are invited to walk it with him. So I, I want to close with a sense of like, we're going to continue on. Our service will end, but Holy Week will continue on. And I want to offer some practical ways that we can engage in the journey of Holy Week between now and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. These are invitations, not commands. If you have been engaged in a a fast or a practice for Lent, I I just want to invite you to allow this, this final week to be one where detachment really turns into attachment towards Jesus. I'll just have a little moment of confession here that uh, some of you know that I, I gave up um, for Lent uh, chess.com. So, it's, hey, we all have our own thing. That's just my thing. Uh, but if I'm honest, while I have been, you know, detaching myself from playing online chess, I don't know that throughout the Lenten journey, there's been a lot of like sort of using that space to attach myself more fully to Jesus. So that, that's my hope. That's my intention this week. I'm going to continue to, to miss uh, playing the, the London opening system. Uh, but I'm also wanting to use that space and that energy to, to sort of orient myself more fully to Jesus this week. If you've not been engaged in practices for Lent, maybe you could just try an expression for this week. Maybe this week you want to set aside some intentional time for silence. Or, or maybe solitude. You could consider making it a, a small daily practice for the next few days leading up or just set aside one intentional time for that kind of experience. Those Lenten practices are available on our website. And you'll also notice that we put up a, a Holy Week playlist, which is available. This playlist features songs that we will sing together as a community on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. So maybe this week, you could allow the songs of the season to just kind of wash over you. Maybe you could embrace a prayer practice this week that will help you engage in the journey. Our website has all kinds of helpful suggestions. And then finally, could I encourage you to consider spending time this week listening to Christ's journey to the cross from the Gospels. Spend time in the Scriptures and allow the story itself to bring you in. And could I just also offer one suggestion to like literally listen to it. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you can choose to have the story read aloud to you. And I would encourage you to to hear it. Let it speak to you this week. There is a journey unfolding. The coordinates are set. Jesus is making his way to the cross. He has proclaimed that he is the true king and the cross will be his inauguration. How are you engaging in the journey this year? From what vantage point are you taking it all in? Jesus invites us to follow him. He invites us to journey with him to the cross. We have a week of anticipation. I encourage you to join in.